Everybody doing well tonight, I hope? I feel like I should uh, probably introduce myself. Uh, I've been gone so long, but uh, we had a good time and uh, got back uh, yesterday, and it's good to be home, and glad you're here tonight. Tonight is the last uh, of our uh, summer series lessons on Wednesday nights. We'll start our new uh, Wednesday night a Bible class quarter a week from tonight, the Lord willing. And I hope that uh, you have benefited from this series of lessons, and I'm sure that that will be the case tonight uh, as well. David Duncan is here, uh, and uh, I've got, uh, I apologize for the lack of personal reference uh, to David. I just met him tonight. We've spoken on the phone before, uh, but uh, he is the uh, minister at the Memorial Church of Christ in Houston, has been there since 2006, and uh, he has uh, previously uh, worked with the Edmond Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma uh, from 99 to 2006, and has done some teaching at Oklahoma Christian University and is on the uh, board uh, of the university uh, even now. And um, uh, he is married uh, to Barbara, and he has, uh, I'm reading through your bio off your website, so, <laughs> um, did mission work in Brazil for a number of years, uh, and um, you have two daughters, is that right? Is that what I'm reading right? Uh, Annabeth and Emma, and uh, uh, good to have David with us tonight. I know that um, I think uh, Troy had tried to get him to come on Wednesday night to series in previous years, and it just wasn't able to be worked out schedule-wise, but we're glad that he's here tonight. And we will uh, go to our Father in prayer as we begin our class, and then we'll turn it over to David for his lesson. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, we come before you to offer our praise, our worship to you, because you're worthy to be praised, and we are thankful that you've blessed us with this opportunity to gather in the middle of the week uh, to focus our mind and focus our hearts on you as we uh, listen to a lesson from your word tonight. We pray that you would bless David as he speaks to us, that you would bless him and his family and his work. We pray, Father, that we would all listen with uh, hearts open, with a desire to uh, take what we learn and uh, use it each day. We pray that you would bless us as we seek to do your will above our own. We're thankful for Jesus, for all the blessings that we have in and through him, and for the fellowship that we enjoy in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Really glad to be here tonight. You know, I always like to hear the bios of people. I would just be happy to go and listen to bios because bios are much more interesting than, than the speeches that people give. I don't know why. But I think, oh, that's really... See there, you don't want to hear me speak either. So here we, go. there we go. No, uh, it's really great, uh, a great honor for me to be here this evening with you. I don't think that I have ever been to Rosenberg. I've been in Houston area nine years. I live in Katy, but I don't think I've ever gone south like this. Been to Sugarland, been close. But I got here a little bit early and drove around, and what a nice town uh, Rosenberg is. And boy, it's growing fast, isn't it? Kind of overwhelming. It's a little bit like Katie is. But it's, uh, it's so good to be with you tonight, and I love the shape of this auditorium. I don't think I've ever seen an auditorium quite like this one. 
and uh, it is really beautiful. It's a must be a wonderful place to worship. I've heard a lot about Eddie over the years. I've known of him, but we've never met until just tonight. But I've known your name for a long time. And then the Albers went to college with them many moons ago, and those were good days. And uh, I worked at the Edmund Congregation for a while, and and then went to Brazil. And while we were in Brazil, Troy worked at the Edmund Congregation, and then he left, and I came back from Brazil, and then I worked there again. So we both worked there. We just worked there at different times. And so uh, uh, it's good to be out here tonight. We've run into each other a few times over the years at the Campaign for Christ that some of you probably were a part of a few years ago. And, and so uh, it's good to have a chance to meet each other. You know, one of the things I don't like about the Houston area is that it seems like Christians don't get together very much. And part of it is because we're really spread out and because there's a whole lot of traffic. Tonight took me about 30 minutes to get here, which wasn't bad. I just came straight. I don't think I ever slowed down the whole way. But this morning, to get to my office from my house took an hour and 20 minutes. So that's not too normal for me. Usually it's a little bit less than that, but uh, it's hard for us to get together. Tonight, one of our members from Memorial, Ruth Ann Cashy, is here, kind of surprised me and showed up with a friend of hers. And I said, I'm really glad you're not hearing a rerun tonight because... You know what it's like when preachers go on the road, but usually I try to come up with something new because I'm afraid somebody will have to hear it twice. And one time um, when I, we were getting ready to be missionaries in Brazil and we were raising money, we'd go from congregation to congregation. I'd give the same sermon on Ehud everywhere we went. And there was one family that happened to be there three times. And the guy finally told me, he said, retire that sermon. <laughs> so, so I do understand that. So I try to come up with new things. I'm a big baseball fan, and matter of fact, in my car, I got to hear the first two batters of the game of the Astros game tonight. Got to go Monday night, only the second time I've been all year, but I'm a big fan, and, and I'll watch as much as I can and drive my wife crazy with it. But there's one player by the name of Matt White that I didn't even know who he was until I looked up his story back of probably a month or two ago. Matt White played a portion of seven seasons in the major leagues as a pitcher. Now, the biggest, the, the, the best his record ever was as a pitcher in the major leagues was 0-2. If you don't know what that means, that means he lost two games and he won exactly zero. He wasn't a great pitcher at all, but you know anybody who gets into major league sports these days gets some pretty hefty checks, and so they make some money. And somewhere along the way, he was in his early 20s, his aunt in Massachusetts, where he happened to be from, was uh, was sick, and she was to an age that she wanted to downsize, and she needed some money to help pay for some bills. And she had 50 acres of land that she wanted to sell for $50,000. And Matt White bought that land from his, from his aunt because he wanted to help her out, and he also thought it would make a nice spread for him, and he could build a big house there. And so he owned that land for a few years, didn't do anything with it, finally had a new surveyor come out and look at it and, and, and tell him exactly what he had there. And, and he was going to clear out a place where he would be putting this mansion because he thought he would be a great baseball player. We all have those dreams, of course. Well, well you may not. I still have that dream of what it would be like. And so he asked the surveyor, he said, there are these big things sticking up out of the ground. It looks big rocks. What are those things sticking out of the ground? So they brought out some other people to look, and he said, that is Goshen stone. And that's what a lot of people use to put on their patios or around their swimming pools or, or even on the wall sometimes. 
And he had bought this piece of land for $50,000, and they estimated that possibly that piece of land was worth $2 billion because of the Goshen Stone. It makes me think about the story of the man in the Bible. Now, now he didn't know until, this man didn't know until after he bought it. But about what the man in the parable did when he, when he found, when he found the, the, the treasure and he buried it and he went back and he bought the land because he had something worth so much. There are some similarities obviously there, but boy did Matt White run into something that was incredible. And so when you think about all that, and, we, and, and that what we learn is, and all those parables that Jesus told about the kingdom, is that the kingdom is incredible. The kingdom is worth much more than a couple billion dollars. It's worth all the, it's worth more than the U.S. national debt. Can you believe that? It is worth a lot. It is worth everything. As you remember what the prophet Isaiah said, whenever he said that, that the nations, that the nations are less than nothing compared to God. That God can hold all the waters of the earth in his hand. Have you ever imagined what that was like when God is holding the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand? He has the Atlantic Ocean here and the Pacific and the Asian and the Indian and the Buffalo Bayou and he has it all right there. And he just can make it move around, I guess, if he wants to. Oh, tsunami on the left side of my hand. Tsunami on the right side of my hand. That God is so overwhelmingly great and now he says that my kingdom is like that. And so over and over and over in the New Testament, Jesus will say, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. Because it is so overwhelming, it's hard to exactly describe it. And so he uses all these different ways to try to get through our thick skulls what it is. We're trying to understand things that are so much greater and so much, that are so overwhelming compared to who we are. But then he gives an example that's a tough example of the kingdom. It's not one of those that tells us, in, in, it tells us how great it is, but kind of in a negative way in Matthew chapter 21. Now you're going to read out of your Bibles tonight, I know, and I'm going to read off of a piece of paper. I'm reading out of the Bible, it's just my eyes have gotten old, they're getting older, and whenever I speak, it's a lot easier for me to look at the paper, so I copy out the verses. So just so you know what I'm doing. Don't think I have all this memorized, although I would like to. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 37, is the beginning of a parable about the kingdom. Jesus says, verse 33, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Now let's stop right there and we're going to pick this up again in just a moment. This is a parable about authority. This is a parable about authority, which may be the least well-liked subject in America right now. You know, whenever, whenever Eddie asked me to come and said, you know, preach something you like, well, authority is not something very many people like right now. It's an issue that we have a lot of problems with just as Americans right now. 
to think that a police officer, a deputy, can just be filling up his car with gas and for no reason other than he wears a badge, he shot over and over again. It's as if it makes no sense. Other things we've seen on the other side of police officers doing that seem to make no sense as well. This whole idea of authority has gone crazy, and if you think that it's just out there in society, have you realized it's also kind of in the church too? Have you realized it's here too? That we're all kind of dealing with this subject. I have a little dog. I have a cute little dog. I don't claim to like dogs, so I'm not going to tell you I like my dog, although he sleeps in our bed, okay? I still try to hold out saying I don't like him. He is as stubborn as they come. He's cute and fuzzy and all that. But if I say, and you'll find out here, I'm an, I'm an Oklahoma football fan. I apologize to you if you're not, but my dog's name is Stoops, named after the coach. So I, I was testing. My wife was so desperate to have a dog, she let me do that. So, or really, my daughters were as well. But I'll say, Stoops, come here. He just looks around. Stoops, come here. Then I'll say, Stoops, I have a treat. And then he goes. Then he comes, if I have a treat. But it's that idea that we're not much different. That we have an authority problem as well. But what, what the tenants didn't understand here is that they were put in charge of this vineyard. They were in charge, and we would put it in our terms, they were in charge of the farm. And somehow they thought they were in control and didn't understand that this farm belongs to the Father and to the Son that we'll talk about more here in just a minute. It is the father's farm, and it's the son's farm. But somehow they have decided that they own it, that they're in control, and that they can do whatever they wish to do. This is a similar story to the one you see in Isaiah. Some of you, some of you will remember the one in Isaiah. What's different here is Jesus adds these tenants in it. Tenants in it, that kind of rhymes, doesn't it? He adds these tenants to the parable. And the tenants here are Israel's leaders. They are not every Jew, but they, in this story, he says things about all the Jews, but in this particular parable, they are the leaders of Israel. And he's saying, look what the leaders of Israel are doing to my people. This parable is so plain, even they figured it out. You know, often the disciples and the people there listening will go, what in the world does that mean? On this case, they all knew what he meant. There was very little guessing, and you'll see that as we go on. They steal from the owner. He's saying, you tenants, you steal the fruit, you steal the, the crops, you take them for yourself, you have absolutely no shame. And so whenever he sends these slaves to go and check, they, they persecute them, they stone them, they throw rocks at them. That, you'll understand, are the prophets. And then he says, I'll send my son. And you'll listen to my son when he comes. And you know what happened to the son, don't you? Because you realize he's talking about Jesus there. They crucified him. They mocked him. They doubted him. They made fun of him. They whipped him. They lied about him. 
They put nails in his hands and in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and they hung him on a cross and left him there to die. That was the son that came to that came for his father. You see, you realize that the son and the father they're there together. You remember what the Bible says about the Son? Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Do you remember also in what Paul says? that I guess Paul, that it's, he's the exact imprint. I'm getting two scriptures confused in my head right now. But he's the exact imprint of the Father. And so you have the Father who comes. The Father doesn't have to come and collect because when his Son comes and collects, the Son is there just as the Father. And what they did is they killed the son. We have this old phrase we used to talk about when, when the, what, the inmates take over the asylum or something like that. Welcome to the world we live in. But this is more specific than just the world we live in. When you start narrowing this down, you can narrow it down to the kingdom. You can narrow it down to the church. And boy, it seems like things are a little bit crazy these days. Seems like things don't make sense and I scratch my head and try to figure out what in the world is going on. In Matthew 21, it goes on in verses 38 through 42. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you not read that? The tenants are greedy murderers. The tenants will go to any length they have to to get their way and to get what they want. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? That the tenants think that they can take the son's inheritance. They might be able to take his life. They might be able to take what's in that particular field, but they can't take all the other things that are back home. They don't even understand that they can't have everything that they think that they can have. They forgot who owned the vineyard. We might have a similar issue sometimes. We might forget who owns the vineyard. We might forget that it's not the kingdom of David. It's not the kingdom of Eddie or the kingdom of Troy. It's the kingdom of God. And it belongs to Him. And it doesn't belong to me. And so, sometimes I explain to people, and, and I always say, now, now, don't misunderstand me when I say this, but there are some things in the Bible I don't like. And I say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because do you not believe it's the inspired Word of God? Of course it's the inspired Word of God. Are you not going to follow it? No, I'm going to follow it. But there are times I don't like it because, you see, there are days that I want to be God. There are days that I just want to do it my way rather than His way. But if I am truly His follower, if I am truly a tenant, 
in God's vineyard that I'm going to do it the owner's way and not my way. I might say, you know what, I think I can improve on that. The owner would say, no, you really can't. Because this is the way I do it. And this is the way I've asked you to do it. Do you ever get in trouble like, like that? Have you ever? I, I, get in, I get in trouble like this still with my wife sometimes. She'll tell me how to do something, and I'll decide I can do it my own way. Back on our, on our this was not exactly that, but on our um, uh, anniversary, we had our 25th anniversary just in July. And uh, I don't know how to make very much, I don't know how to cook very much, but there was one thing I remember that I used to be able to cook it, some kind of simple, easy peach cobbler. And so I snuck all the stuff out of the house. And then I needed something at the store. I don't remember what it was. Uh, I think it actually was peach pie filling, I think. I snuck it all out of the house, and I made it at the church building, which I felt kind of silly doing that, but that's what I did. It was terrible. <laughs> I don't know what I forgot, but I forgot something. And so I went home quickly. She called and said, well, I'm out doing such and such. I said, oh, well, that's okay. Well, I'm going to come home. I mean, I went home and I was just pouring in sweat. I tried to make it again. But I thought, well, I don't have all the ingredients, but that's okay. It was worse than the first time. <laughs> and the poor woman loves me so much, she took two bites of it. I said, please, don't eat that. I said, I don't want you to have food poisoning on our anniversary. Please, stop. Sometimes we decide we know better and it doesn't come out nearly the way it's supposed to. We think that we understand better and when the truth is we don't. You see, they forgot who owned the vineyard because they misunderstood the kingdom. I can't force you to do my will. I have to let God deal with those things. I, you can't force me. We have to work together and come back over and over again and say, what does the Bible say? One time, several years ago, when I was a missionary, I was reading in a Bible study with a, with a man, Acts 2.38. You know Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I said to him, you know, read this passage. Read it out loud, because we went through and we had a good friendship, it seemed like, and he said, repent. I know, I've always heard these stories, and it literally happened to me. Repent in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said, would you read that again? He said, repent, in the name of, repent for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus. I'm now getting all confused, but you understand the point. I said, let's look at this again. And he said it again, repent in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I said, you are missing a word right there. He said, no, I'm not. And I thought, have I given him some odd version of the Bible? <laughs> so I looked at it and I said, no, what's this word right there? He said, it's not there. I said, my finger is on it. What is it? He goes, it's not there. He said, I'm not going to read that word because I'm not going to do that. I can't be that way. I can't say I'm going to take what I want and I'm going to leave what I don't want. And some days it means making hard decisions. Some days it means that I'm going to lose face, so to speak, because I'm going to have to humble myself, 
not only in front of God, but in front of other people, and say, here I am. I know what I said before, but this is what I understand now. Let's go on to Matthew chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. That's almost the funniest line in the Bible. When they heard it, they knew he was talking about them. Well, no surprise, guys. Of course he was. But they were destroyed by money and power and control. What destroyed them was they wanted to keep, to keep all of those things. I think money was probably somewhat important to them, but what was most important was the idea of having power. What Annas and Caiaphas were most interested in whenever they condemned Jesus or had Jesus condemned was keeping control. To keep that line of Annas, if you know the story and how Annas was the high priest, basically he buys his way in and then it just changed back and forth the, the role of high priest between himself and his sons-in-law. Back and forth it would go in order to just stay in control. When we lived in Brazil, I, I, I baptized a woman who had been, it was a long story, her husband had been the governor of a state, another state in Brazil. And she was telling me about, about her husband when he had been governor, and then she said something about her brother-in-law had been governor, and then she said something about her father-in-law had been governor, and I said, has everybody in the family been governor? She said, well, I think everybody over 40 has been. It was one of those things, they just kept it in the family. I didn't ask if they were honest or not. It was kind of, you know, I think I probably figured out the answer to that. But it was that idea of wanting to keep control. And have you ever realized sometimes we want to keep control? That we'll do whatever it takes? One time years ago, I was in a, in a church in another place. I was asked to come and speak. I was, actually, I was in college, and I was just asked to come and speak on a Sunday night. I go by one building, there's a Church of Christ sign. And I think that's where I'm supposed to be, and I realize the address is wrong, and so I'm not going to stop. I don't stop there. I go on to the next place, and there's a nice building, probably a little bit smaller than this, but not much. So I'll wait for the congregation to come, and then all once they filed in, all five of them. All five of them. One man had the deed to the building. And in order, <laughs> and at one time it had been a full congregation. But finally, the whole church left and went across town and left him with his building. And I was a poor college student. He told me the whole story that night. And that night I thought, do I really want to be a preacher? <laughs> you see, this control can kill us. When we think the kingdom is ours, it can kill us. And don't. this was not a doctrinal issue with these folks. This was a personality issue, but it can kill us. I have to think right now there are congregations, even among us, who are dealing with this idea. You see, these days, our issues are sometimes money, not as much, but sometimes it's power, and sometimes it's just growth. We just want more people. I want more people. 
But I want more people who are convicted of the cross of Jesus Christ and who are committed to living Him out every day. That's what I want. But you know, the temptation is there. The temptation for any preacher, any elder, anybody who loves the church, anybody who, who, loves, who loves that that life in Christ, there's a temptation. But we can't give in to that temptation. We have to be true to what the Bible says. We cannot leave what Scripture says. I think there, there has probably never been more outside pressure on churches than there is right now, at least in my lifetime, in this country. We understand there's been great pressure in other parts of the world, and there is and there will continue to be. But right now, the pressure is mounting against us. Cultural changes that are happening, as well as, as governmental changes as far as the way they look at religion. But I have to live under God in His kingdom. And I can't put myself in charge. I have to be, I have to be loyal to Him. Back a few months ago, you know the Supreme Court made their ruling on, on gay marriage, and you all probably talked about that here. Being fairly metropolitan these days, these things are hitting home more closer and closer all the time. And on, I had a sermon, my sermon planned. I usually try to get my sermons done by Tuesday. Uh, I get them on paper on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I try to figure out what I meant when I wrote it down. But on that Saturday, I said to my wife, I said, I think I need to say something about the Supreme Court ruling on Sunday. I said, there's a place it can kind of fit in the sermon, but I think I, I, I need to, it's going to make my sermon long, and it means some people are going to get to Luby's late. But I think I need to say something. And she said, David, people are coming to church Sunday to hear what you have to say on this subject. She said, they want to know, what do the elders think? What do you think? And I knew what the elders thought. And so I could say something that Sunday. I had no doubt what they thought. We'd talked about it. But that Sunday, oddly, I was speaking out of Romans 1, but I wasn't going to speak specifically about homosexuality. And I talked about how disappointing that decision was. Not surprising, but how disappointing it was. But then I also talked about there are other sins that are listed in that same passage of Scripture. One of them, of all things, is disobedience to parents. <laughs> Seems like a pretty mild one, doesn't it? It's back to this authority issue, though. But that one's mentioned, and murder's mentioned, and then there are other, what, we, what I call the, the, the big list of sins in the Bible. In Galatians, you find a list. In Revelation, you find a list of sins. And so as we talked about that, I said, you know, gay marriage is not what God intended. It's not what God wants. But God also doesn't want us to be disobedient to our parents. And He doesn't want us 
to gossip. And He doesn't want us to have heterosexual sin. And He doesn't want us to overeat like I obviously do. And so I said, and, and I said a lot of things, but I'm not going to say it all here tonight, but I said, if you are struggling with being a gossip and you're willing to work on it, I said, and if you're struggling with overeating and you're willing to work on it, and if you're struggling with heterosexual sin and you're willing to work on it, if you're struggling with pornography and you're willing to work on it, and if you're struggling with homosexuality and you're willing to work on it, we want you here. We love you and we want you here because we want to work through these things together. And don't for a minute think that we're perfect. The only thing that makes us perfect is Jesus. But we struggle. My sins aren't in the newspaper. My sins aren't, the, aren't the, the big ones. But my sins also put Jesus on the cross. I went to my 30th high school reunion not too long ago. This summer, actually. And I was just thinking about this the other day because I was definitely the goody-two-shoes at the reunion. It was kind of funny that I was the preacher and then there was everybody else. And I thought, you know... I am very aware of my own sin. I know my sin. I'm sure there's some I don't know, but I know I have issues. But I thought if I stood up in that crowd that night and said, you know what, I am a terrible sinner, there would have been laughter because of the things that so many people in that room are involved in, and some were even involved in at the moment. That didn't make me feel like, wow, I don't have any sin. I'm really a good guy. What it reminded me of is what a pathetic state this world is in. Because my sins are awful. They're awful. And to think how many people are almost oblivious to what's going on. We have to be people who examine ourselves and say, am I like these tenants who are trying to, to run the vineyard myself? Am I like these tenants who are even trying to run the church myself and forget that the church belongs to God? There is a reason your sign out there says Church of Christ and not Church of Eddie or Troy or whoever else. It is because of who owns it, who it belongs to. Every once in a while I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, you know, you know I don't go to church and, and I, don't, I don't do this and I don't do that, but I've got to deal with God. That's a one-way deal. Because God made a deal. Here it is. He made a deal. And this is what He called us to follow. This is what he called us to be. I feel like we're in a... Ooh, the lights came on. I know what that means. <laughs> I feel like we're in a time as a nation and even 
as a brotherhood where we're really confused, where we don't really know what to do. You know that guy I told you about at the beginning, Matt White? Matt White didn't have any business savvy, really. He just, he just had, a, he had a plot of land that was worth $2 billion. And so he was trying to keep playing baseball, and he didn't want to hire too many people because he didn't want to share too much of that money, so he just hired his dad to clear the land for him. And in the midst of clearing the land and getting some of the, some of the, the rock out, the first year they made about $600,000. But in the time of doing that, just him and his dad, his dad had quadruple bypass surgery and couldn't work. And Matt... White had gone and gotten a loan on his land to buy equipment and all, which you can understand, but then it had it had the, the balloon payment on it, the interest payment that went way up, you know how you can get it really low, and then all at once it shot up to 21%. And in 2014, on that piece of land, he filed bankruptcy. He had a gold mine, we might call it. We'll call it a Goshen stone mine. And he blew it. What's so wonderful about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is going to last forever. The kingdom of God is not going to go away. But here's what folks like us need to remember in our little neck of the woods, in Rosenberg and at Memorial in Houston, is that it can go away where we are. It could be that we'll just teach it right out of existence. Or that we'll just sit on the pew until we all die and it'll be gone. We must expand the kingdom. We must share our faith with other people. We must evangelize. We must reach people. We must teach truth. We must do what's right. Because you see, the Lord put us in the vineyard as the tenants. He put us in the vineyard to work it. And what a shame if we don't work His vineyard. Let's pray quickly before we end this portion. Heavenly Father, we love You and we thank You that You have given us overwhelming responsibility. Father, it lets us know that you trust us. Now, Father, may we trust you back. And Father, may we be bold and share our faith. May we be bold to speak truth. May we be bold to go into our neighborhoods and, and say what needs to be said, but say it in a way that is loving and that we show care and care for other people. Father, we want to win people to you and we want to work for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.